Today on Ag News Daily. I think a big thing right now on the Hill in particular is um, ag workforce. And so the Farm Workforce Modernization Act is very important to us. Um, Edge is really looking for two things in any sort of workforce bill. Good afternoon and welcome to another Friday episode of the Ag News Daily Podcast, hosted, of course, by me, Ashton Carr and Delaney Howell. And today's Friday episode is brought to you, of course, by DPH Biologicals. To unharness your soil's fertility to maximize yield, visit dphbio.com. Delaney, I'm not sure that it's really a Friday for some of our producers out here in the panhandle. We're under a wind advisory. We've got a little bit of a haboob going on. And if you're an avid listener of the Ag News Daily Podcast, you know what a haboob is by now. But I know that some people are still in the cotton fields trying to get harvest done. I think it's been a little bit of a a weird timing year, but they're not in the fields today because it's just far too windy. Yes, I always love it when we talk about the haboobs that you experience there in Lubbock, but I've never experienced one, so I shouldn't make fun. Yeah, I mean, it's honestly not awful. I mean, everything is coated in dirt. It's just so weird to look out of the window and the sky be like burnt orange. It's a weird experience. It's like I'm in a ending times movie. Well, it actually makes a lot of sense that you are experiencing a haboob right now because this week's U.S. drought monitor is continuing to point to deteriorations and drought conditions across the Mid-Atlantic, the Southeast, and of course your neck of the woods there in the Plains area as well. Drought conditions expanded and intensified in the South specifically, including Louisiana, Arkansas, and Texas. And we saw it continuing to intensify in the High Plains as well. So really a large portion of the United States right now is experiencing drought-like conditions. However, the National Weather Service did issue a winter storm warning on Friday with heavy snow expected to reach some of the upper Midwest and Great Lakes through Saturday morning. Unfortunately, the storm's path does not look like it's going to cover very much of the swath that is dealing with some intense drought aside from maybe South Dakota getting a little snow. Otherwise, expected uh, drought is to continue here into your neck of the woods, Ashton. Unfortunately, I feel like I know that story all too well because we don't get much rain in Lubbock ever. But moving on along, Delaney, I have some uplifting news to share. But before we get into that, I wanted to make sure that our listeners remember to check out last week's Tech Tuesday episode that we did with Nick Messman, who is the president and CEO of DPH Biologicals, our sponsors for today. Nick talks about the company's new biofertility platform, TerraTrove, refined across millions of acres. TerraTrove works in broad acre applications to improve soil structure while manufacturing plant nutrition. TerraTrove combines microbes, plant extracts, and algae to offer the most complete biofertility solution available. To unharness soil fertility and maximize yield, visit dphbio.com to learn more. And now that we've got that out of the way, Delaney, like I said, have an uplifting story to share today for our soybean producers. 
We have seen that Dr. James Fry, who is a vegetable oil analyst, say that growing soybean oil demand as a renewable diesel fuel feedstock, partly because of flattening palm oil production. So this would mean that soybean oil production would be set to overtake palm oil production in a few years. Dr. Fry says that by 2030, soy will be far ahead of palm, significantly ahead as the leading oil. And I think that this story kind of rings true because we have read up, I feel like a lot here lately at Delaney and heard multiple stories about people in the tech industry, I guess, um, you know, using soybean oil as an alternative for other things. You know, we see these kinds of things in tires and we talked about the, I think, soy oil as a part of asphalt and being put on roads. So this, I feel like, is a pretty good story. So I'm excited to see what the future holds for our soy oil. Well, Ashton, one question was answered today by Congress in relation to a House bill that was passed on Wednesday. I think we talked about it a little bit on the podcast yesterday, but that's dealing with more transparency in cattle markets. I just wanted to give a quick update on this here because we do have a little bit more information. You know, as I mentioned, this largely aims to introduce more transparency into cattle marketing and would require meat packers to report purchase prices of livestock. And I think, as I also mentioned the other day, it also requires the USDA to update the library regularly using what they're calling a user-friendly format as well as provide weekly and monthly reports as needed. The House also passed uh, H.R. 5290, which extends the mandatory reporting law for livestock through September of 2022. So we had a couple of really cattle updates here on this Friday afternoon. Well, Delaney, another piece of legislation that I wanted to talk about today is talking about China's Western Xinjiang region. Of course, we have talked, you know, a lot, I feel like, on the podcast about that region of China and how they are doing forced human labor or reportedly doing forced human labor. And we saw that a piece of U.S. legislation was passed in the House earlier this week that is set to ban imports from the Xinjiang region. And this could have ramifications for goods from textiles to solar panel materials. And I believe if I am you know, putting two and two together properly, that this is one of the reasons that um, we have the diplomatic boycott of the Olympics this year because of the human labor issues going on in that region of China. So a lot is, I feel like, really developing here when it comes to this. And like I said, we've talked about this, you know, numerously here on the podcast, but I feel like it's getting more attention now. Yeah, I would certainly agree with that. And, you know, I got to make a quick joke here, Ashton. I'm very impressed with your ability to make up or sound very confident when you read names of these Chinese cities and provinces, because I struggle with that a lot. Well, you know, my secret, Delaney, is I make my computer say it to me You're multiple gonna have to times. How to do that? <laughs> how do I do that? Is that a function of a MacBook? Because uh, I think I'm getting old. I definitely don't know how to do that. If so, I just sometimes will type it into Google, but I don't really think that they always do it correctly either. 
you know, I, I just highlight the word and you right click and you can do the speech option and it reads it back oh, to you. I see yeah. that now. Okay. I've done I'm going to have to use this. I'm going to have to use this in the future because I didn't know that that was an option. Uh, but continuing on here with news Ashton, I can read all the words in this story. Um, <laughs> You know, we've been giving a lot of updates this week on the EPA's announcement that they will not be approving all of the about 65 small refinery waivers. And aside from really the Supreme Court reversing a July ruling that the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia said, the EPA said that there are essentially two options for bringing back year-round E15. They said that either a state would have to petition the agency to put E10 and E15 on an equal regulatory footing in states with high ozone levels in the summer, or Congress will have to act to change the law. But all in all, the EPA says they will not defend the Trump era rule that allowed for year-round E15 sales, and that is certainly a blow to the ethanol industry. Well, Delaney, I just have one other piece of news that I wanted to talk about today, and it's some good news, I think, for Bayer as Yesterday, a California jury found that Roundup was not the cause of Donette Stevens' non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Of course, this is a, a narrative that we have seen numerous times here. And earlier this year, we even saw Bayer announce a five-point plan to kind of clear a path to closure of the U.S. glyphosate litigation. And we saw now, I think this is the second or third win for Bayer, the first going back to October as a jury found that their verdict was in Bayer's favor and that the roundup did not cause an illness of the plaintiff's child. So I think that they're winning more cases. I think, you know, they sound a little bit more positive when talking about this, talking about the science of this, but that's just uh, really all I have to talk about today, Delaney. Do you have any other uh, stories or newsworthy topics? I certainly don't, aside from chatting the markets. And as we hop into chat markets today, one more reminder, folks, that we are sponsored today by DPH Biologicals. If you're looking for an alternative to starter fertilizer, DPH Biologicals offers a competitive alternative for broad acre crops without sacrificing those yields. Refined across millions of acres, TerraTrove combines microbes, plant extracts, and algae to offer the most complete biofertility solution. To unharness soil fertility and maximize yield, visit dphbio.com to learn more. And as we look at the markets today, Ashton, we certainly saw some mixed trade as we saw the March contract closing two cents lower to end at 589 and three quarters. The DEES 22 contract down a penny and three quarters to close at 550 and a half. Soybeans actually finished the week finally on a high note here as the January contract ended three cents higher to close at 1267 and a half. The March up a penny and a half to close at 12.73 and three quarters. In the wheat pits, the December, excuse me, the March contract closed seven and a quarter cent higher to end at 7.84. The DEES up five and three quarter cents closing the day at 7.84 and a half. Livestock also finished on a high note today to close in the February live cattle contract up 27 and a half cents at 138.07 and a half. 
The April up 65 cents, closing at 141.87 and a half. In the feeder cattle pits, the January contract closed 80 cents higher to end at 164.87 and a half. The March up 22 and a half cents, closing at a buck 65.30. In the lean hog markets, that strength continued as the February contract added 320 today, closing at 8102.5. The April up $2.92.5, closing at 85.97. And in the class three dairy milk futures today, the January contract added 12 cents, closing at 1994. The February up 11 cents, closing at 1996. Ashton, without further ado, fill us in on who we're talking to for today's interview. Well, we're taking it back again here to NAFB 21 and talking to Michael Wedig of the Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative. Well, today we are joined by Michael Wedig, who is the Associate Director of Government Affairs for Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative. Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So before we really get started talking, I want to know a little bit more about what you do at EDGE and a little bit more about your background in the dairy industry. Yeah, um, I am the Associate Director of Government Affairs here at EDGE, and we work on federal policy. So I engage with uh, members of Congress and their staff um, and those at USDA uh, to work on federal issues. In my background, um, I'm from a dairy farm in Wisconsin, and then I went out to D.C. and worked um, on the Hill for a while and for another organization in in agriculture. So I've got the background for the federal policy, um, and I'm excited to be with EDGE now. So I'm going to kick things off here talking about the milk marketing orders, kind of get an update on what's kind of going on there. Like I said before we started recording here, don't have a whole lot of background information personally for me. So if you could just kind of bring us up to speed. Yeah, the federal milk marketing orders are um, are how farmers are come up with their, um, their paychecks or how um, processing plants then figure out how to... Uh, pay their farmers. And it is it is very convoluted. It's changed a lot throughout the years. Um, and so it's a very patchwork system now. And actually what's happened um, in 2020 and 2021 with all the market volatility, um, the way those federal milk marketing orders were structured um, caused a lot of issues for our farmers. And so they saw some negative producer price differentials, negative PPDs, which you might hear a little bit, um, in the dairy industry, um, and so so farmers saw some money being taken out of their checks from those negative PPDs. And so now what Edge is trying to do is figure out how to solve this problem. The federal milk marketing orders are so complicated, no one really understands what's going on. And so we want to make that process more transparent. And so um, Edge, with several different other groups within the upper Midwest, is trying to put together, has put together a task force and trying to, you know, figure out how we can make this process more transparent. Um, we've come up with the um, with a proposal called the Class Three Plus pro- proposal on how to go forward with that. Um, but we continue to work on what a um, comprehensive change to the federal milk marketing orders would look like. Because we could, you know, just focus on one little part of it. But what we really want to make sure is that any changes that are implemented will be. Um, will stand the test of time. Um, and if we run into another 2020, we won't see the volatility we've seen now um, because of the federal milk, mar- milk marketing orders. So we're still working on what a, uh, a solution would look like and working with others in our area, up area of the upper Midwest and, um, 
and we don't know how we'll go about changing that. Um, but we're, and, but we really want to make sure it's a thoughtful process and, um, and dairy members are heard and the process becomes more transparent. So just to follow up here, what are you really hearing back from those in the dairy industry about this effort? Everyone is very excited that they're, you know, that we can possibly become or come up with a more transparent system because that's, you know, the main issue here. No one quite understands. I think there's about one person in the country that understands this completely. And um, we do have a economist um, that we keep on retainer that helps us with um with putting these proposals together because it is so complicated. Um, we really need the help of Dr. Marin Bozik um, at UW, or excuse me, University of Minnesota. And he's working through these solutions with us. Um, and we're trying to convey that to our farmers and talk to them about what these solutions are and what the issues are. Um, because a lot of farmers just don't understand what's going on um, with their, uh, with their uh, milk checks. So, Transparency is really the thing everyone's really um, trying to go for and um, what really gets our farmers excited. And still kind of going with the transparency, uh, paychecks are based off of milk demand as well. And so is that going along the lines of still trying to make sure that when their paychecks are getting cut for certain reasons, uh, them knowing what the demand looks like for the products that they're producing as well? Yeah, um, I, I think the demand is an important part of that as well. Um, there's a lot of our a lot of our product is exported, and so we want to make sure that demand is uh, we keep that demand, and we're trying to look for more markets to make sure that our that demand for our products continues to grow um, because we obviously um, make more milk here in the U.S. than we consume. So. Um, Making sure our farmers are aware, you know, of how their products are being used and um, what the opportunities are in the future is very important. So we're finally kind of seeing some momentum here from the Biden administration when it comes to trade and those kinds of things. So where does dairy really come into play in that aspect? Yeah, trade is a huge um, priority for our organization. Um, here in the upper Midwest, you know, we don't create a lot of fluid milk. There's not a lot of fluid milk consumption. And so, um, so our products are really made into processed products that a lot of it gets exported. And so, um, we are also growing as far as, you know, our dairy footprint as well. And so we want to make sure that there is a place for our dairy products and that our farmers can continue to grow and have, um, have a place for those products. So we are watching carefully, you know, the, the way this administration is handling trade. And we're hoping that they really ramp up their efforts in this because we haven't seen a lot yet. Um, and we're hoping that, um, we get some new, uh, market access, um, through this administration. So kind of after the COP26 climate summit going forward with uh, leaders, you know, putting out new pledges for reduced emissions, uh, trying to make sure that we can stay in those markets for exports. Uh, can you kind of give us an idea of what the dairy industry is still doing and what you guys are doing to make sure that we can still fulfill those uh, new requirements? Yeah, absolutely. Um, farmers are the original environmentalists. Um, 
we are already doing a lot of things uh, to make sure that we have a safe and clean environment. Um, and we actually, EDGE has a sister organization called Farmers for Sustainable Food. And that organization has six farmer-led watershed groups that it um, helps in organizing and making sure that um, those groups have the resources they need to um, to measure the outcomes and to implement practices that are um, are better for the environment. And so these groups are, are really working towards environmental stewardship and in a voluntary way. Um, I think the voluntary piece of that is very important for us and making sure that our farmers are working together. Um, we really think that these sorts of, um, that environmental stewardship should really come from the local level and farmers working together um, through trusted sources um, and uh, getting technical assistance from people that they really trust and can, um, and that they understand the process is really important as well. So that's how we work um, uh, on the sustainability side of things. And we think that that's really the model for the future. And we've been excited about all of Secretary Vilsack's uh, comments in this area. He's definitely maintained that he supports our current system. Um, and while we do need to make strides forward, he he believes that, you know, we can contain or can, can continue to um, have animal agriculture and at the same level we have it right now, just, you know, work towards more environmental um, stewardship uh, in those areas. And so we've we've been happy with all of the secretary's comments to date um, because he's really um, focused on voluntary programs that um, that let us continue at the rate we are right now. So obviously there's a ton of moving parts in agriculture at all times, but what are some key things that we can really nail down that EDGE is going to be paying a lot more attention to or some, you know, key things when it comes to policy or, or anything like that that we can expect to see EDGE kind of take part in? Yeah, uh, we've already mentioned trade, but I think a big thing right now on the Hill in particular is um, ag workforce. And so the Farm Workforce Modernization Act is very important to us. Um, EDGE is really looking for two things in any sort of workforce bill. Um, one is a um, renewable year-round visa, uh, H-2A visa. Um, and the second is access to legal status for our current workforce. And so um, those two things are something we see in that Farm Workforce Modernization Act. So we really um, we're happy to see it pass the House. And now that negotiations are in the Senate, we're hoping that we can um, push that across the finish line by the end of the year. There is one little change that we'd like to see in it. Um, the year-round visas are capped at um, 20000 and dairy does get half of that. But we really think that the demand is a lot higher than that. And so we would like to see that cap lifted. And so that one little change is, you know, something we would like to see before it um, before it passes the Senate. But we are pushing pretty hard um, in order to uh, get this across the finish line before the 2022 midterms really ramp up. Um, there's a lot of factors in uh, the politics of it right now. Um, the reconciliation bill uh, is throwing some um, wrenches into that. But, you know, we're working hard to keep it in the forefront of people's uh, mind in the Senate um, and trying to uh, convey to them how important this is. Ag workforce, we've had problems for decades now. It's been very hard to keep work um, workers on the farm um, for various issues, you know, whether it's um, 
you know, the younger generation not being as interested in farming or, you know, di- the diaspora of folks from the rural areas into the cities. Um, it's there's a lot of reasons why the workforce has been a challenge. And it's interesting to see now that other industries are really having this workforce challenge that we've been having for decades. Um, so we're just trying to keep it um, on the radar uh, for the Senate. Um, and so so that it's so that we can get it done by the end of the year. Well, again, Michael, just want to thank you so much for joining us today. We certainly appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks again there to Michael for taking a moment to talk to Dawson and I while we were at NAFB. I thought it was pretty interesting too, because we heard from another representative from EDGE during the labor session talking about how EDGE really wasn't seeing any labor issues. So I think it was a, a great conversation to have talking about policy and what the cooperative is really seeing here moving forward. But Delaney, we do still have a few sessions to release some audio clips from, you know, including that labor session. So folks can tune into that at agnewsdaily.com. With that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.